We just sang, of course, a trio of very touching songs. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. And we began our service with that song and then followed that one by, of course, proclaiming the greatness of the pattern and example that He has been for us. And, of course, that one that we just sang together. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. There's a great deal of comfort and assurance in a song like that one, isn't there? In fact, a statement about a degree of confidence, if you please, that is certainly very, very touching. The lesson tonight, as you can well tell, is one, in fact, surrounding the issue of what we are currently doing at this, at this present hour, the Sunday evening worship. In fact, I suppose over the last year or so, there's been a number of discussions and questions in some ways that have at least touched that subject. And I thought tonight we would just devote the entirety of the lesson to thinking about what the Word of God has to say about such a thing, the Sunday evening worship. To do that, this opening slide is really a very gentle introduction. In fact, it has on it some information that's not at all unfamiliar to us. We know very well that, of course, for many years, the typical consideration of the week for the Pippin Church of Christ was this. We would assemble on Sunday morning at 9.30 for Bible study. We would follow that at 10.30 with a worship hour on Sunday morning. And then on Sunday afternoon at 5.30, we again would participate in a period of worship. And then at 7 o'clock on Wednesday evening, a period of Bible study. But suddenly... Two Sundays less than a year ago, we in fact made a rather dramatic change. Beginning on the 22nd day of March 2020 and continuing all the way to the first Sunday in May, we did not meet at 9.30 on Sunday morning for Bible study. We did not meet at 5.30 Sunday afternoon for worship, nor did we meet at 7 o'clock Wednesday evening either. The only service was that 10.30 a.m. Sunday morning worship service. And then, after circumstances permitted, we began meeting again on a more regular schedule at the beginning of May, and that lasted all the way until mid-December. As you can see on that slide, from the 13th day of December 2020 through the 14th day of February 2021, the same schedule was followed. No meeting at 9.30 Sunday morning, no meeting at 5.30 Sunday afternoon, and no meeting at 7 o'clock Wednesday. Now, of course, just a few weeks ago now, we again have begun to meet on that more typical regular basis in which the services are at those times I first mentioned in the lesson just a few minutes ago. But doesn't that by its very nature make an interesting consideration? What is different about that 1030 service? If the other ones could in fact be interrupted, why not that one? And in fact, what does that say about the Sunday evening worship, the one in which we're engaged right now? Is it optional? Is it something that might be looked upon as, quite frankly, a matter of personal choice and one is just as acceptable to not be present as those who choose to be? I suppose that there have been a number of questions over the last year that in one way or another have revolved around that idea. For that reason tonight, what about the Word of God's statement concerning a subject like this one? You may notice at the bottom of that slide, the study that we're going to engage in this evening will be our effort, our attempt to let the Word of God do the talking and explain to us about such things as a Sunday evening worship hour. 
to begin, why don't we reflect for just a few minutes on some basics connected with the reality of worship. We, in fact, in one way, saw that as a part of the lesson this morning. There, particularly with respect to the song service, the music part of the service at least. But tonight, let's broaden that somewhat. Isn't it so that the Word of God teaches very, very strongly that worship is a very serious matter? As far as its idea, its definition, it might be described like this, acts of reverence directed to God. Again, may I say, acts of reverence directed to God. No wonder in that connection we appreciate that the audience is God. He is the one to whom we are directing this worship. To be sure, we benefit by it. We encourage one another, even as we learned this morning, but we are not the primary audience. He is the one to be adored. He is the one to be worshipped. He is the one to whom we're offering the homage of our heartfelt appreciation in these acts of reverence. At this point, you may thus quickly observe this. If we learn much of anything from the Word of God with respect to the topic of worship, it's this. He doesn't just accept anything and everything that's directed to Him. It is within His sovereign right to determine what He shall and shall not accept. In fact, would you notice the reading of Isaiah chapter 1? We'll not look at all that chapter to be sure. It's a bit lengthy. But at least a portion of it seems to ring very strongly concerning the topic we're going to consider tonight, at least as we begin the lesson. Remember, God in addressing the children of Israel said this. Let me start reading in verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the law of our God, ye people of Gomorrah. You might already gain a sense that this is not going to go well. He's talking to his people, the people of Israel, and calls them Sodomites and people of Gomorrah. And of course, the history of those two places was not very commendable. Let's read on. To what purpose is this multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams, and the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks, or of lambs, or of he goats. When ye come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. I think we've read enough. God had given commandment to the children of Israel. They were supposed to come and offer sacrifices at certain seasons and at certain times. They were commanded to offer incense at the appropriate occasions. And yet God says, I hate what you're doing. It is an abomination. My soul loathes it. Did you also notice what else he wrote? Verse number 13, bring no more vain oblations. If this is what you're going to do, you just as well not even come. What do you think about that? To have the God of heaven describe these who are assembling and offering something to him, and he wasn't pleased with it at all. You might notice one final thing. 
in verse number 14, he says, They are a trouble unto me. May I suggest how serious a matter it would be to engage in something that causes God trouble. (laughs) And yet, they were engaging in worship as they saw it, and yet they were causing God trouble. I know that we would never want to cause Him trouble in connection to our worship. We would never want to engage in anything that would, in fact, cause difficulty or challenge to His will and to those who would rightly wish to worship Him. No wonder with those things as a background, isn't it easy then to conclude we ought never to take worship trivially. We ought never to look upon it as a matter of, shall we say, insignificance. On the other hand, it's very important. So much so that we're going to at least tonight ask about the Sunday evening worship period. What might we conclude or at least learn about the nature of this kind of an assembly? About the middle of that slide, to offer another element in preparation for some of the later studies this evening. Isn't it true that we remember the fourth of the Ten Commandments, in fact, gave order to the children of Israel with regard to a particular day of the week? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. In other words, there were seven days in a week, of course, but this one is one that is to be especially regarded. It was that Sabbath of the Old Testament era, Saturday as we would call it, the seventh day. God, you and I remember, did not look kindly upon the times when Israel failed to appreciate the Sabbath. And we remember those times did come. Later in Old Testament history, long after the events at Mount Sinai, in the days of Nehemiah, for example, the people were taking care of business on the Sabbath just like any other day of the week. And God said, I've had enough of this. Through Nehemiah, he in fact bolted the doors to the city and said, you are not to do business that day because you're not supposed to do any work for them. You know, I remember God thus did not look kindly upon their treatment of the Sabbath that way. Now, we know that we aren't under that same Sabbath requirement that they were. That law was nailed to the cross, Colossians 2.14. It was taken out of the way in the words of Ephesians chapter 2. But yet, isn't there a powerful premise near the bottom of that same slide? Consider this interesting thought as we turn the page into the New Testament. Rather than the seventh day, we find a particular emphasis on the first day of the week. And we see it almost immediately. In fact, as the Son of God died on the cross, we remember on that third day, which was a Sunday, He arose. And you might recall He met with His apostles that day, and then on the very next Sunday He met with them again, John chapter 20. In fact, not many weeks thereafter, the Holy Spirit came on the apostles and the church began on the first day of the week. We read about that lovely detail in the second chapter of the book of Acts, but it was on a Sunday that the blessed organization we call the body of Christ had its beginning. As we come to Acts chapter 20, we are now, of course, a couple of decades after the establishment of the church, but notice as Paul was laboring on the third missionary journey, he came to the city of Troas. It was his desire to meet with the brethren. There was a congregation of the Lord's people in Troas, and yet verse 7 says, And 
when they came together on the first day of the week to break bread. They were observing the Lord's Supper, not on a Tuesday, not on a Friday, not on a Saturday. They were observing it on Sunday, the first day of the week. And Paul thus waited in Troas until the church came together, and he not only assembled with them to partake of the Lord's Supper, he preached on that occasion. In 1 Corinthians 16, we one more time encounter the first day of the week in connection to the worship. There, they made their free will offerings on the first day of the week. Paul wrote to them, they were to give as they had been prospered, and that giving was to take place on the first day of the week. So brethren were assembling to contribute. They were assembling to partake of the Lord's Supper. And those things took place on the first day of the week. It is in that light, might we thus say this. We would all quickly agree then that where God has spoken, that becomes a matter of great significance. I put it in the language that closes that slide. You and I know that over the course of years, we of course look forward to the thought of meeting on the first day of the week. And it's rather traditional, I suppose, that that take place in the morning hours of Sunday. Perhaps you have been in a part of congregations that meet at 9 a.m. Sunday morning, or maybe 10 a.m. Sunday morning, maybe 11 a.m. Sunday morning. But that's certainly the more expected or at least a current matter. At this point, could we then not at least say this? These assemblies on the first day of the week, those worship assemblies to which we've referred, certainly very important. Hebrews 10.25 will later thus say, "...not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching." So those Hebrew individuals were even so strongly encouraged, don't you forsake these. Even in light of matters touching persecution or opposition, you're not to forsake them. Having said all of that, it still doesn't fully bring us to appreciate the Sunday evening service. But we're moving closer and closer to that particular consideration. And so on this slide, could we add one more matter for some thought? When it comes to that which God has designated and that which God has revealed, humankind is not at liberty to change it, to redefine it, to redirect it, or in any way alter it. Because after all, it is God's will, not ours. That has so often been a matter of some consideration. I just chose one example. What about Leviticus 25, verses 4 and following? Back as long ago, as far back as that, God had given order to the children of Israel, every seven years the land is to lie fallow. You're not to till it. You're not, in fact, to work it, if you please. I believe we would all agree to the fact that when times were to get hard enough, it might cross my mind, surely God won't care if I miss one year out of every 21 or 28 God cared. He cared. And He took notice each and every time they had failed to honor that commandment He had given. Though no doubt in the mind of men that was not that significant. In 2 Chronicles 36, we read wherein God severely judged them because of their failure to honor that commandment. 
That leads me then to say this. The assemblies that we're describing, in whatever context and wherever they occur, if it is that which is in accordance to the Word of God, it's important. It doesn't matter what people may think about it, and it doesn't matter what others might have to say concerning it. No wonder then, isn't it true as we close that slide, we are not at liberty to change anything God has said about His assemblies. Let's transition to the next slide and see where all of this leads us. So what specifically about the Sunday evening worship service? The Sunday evening worship service. On this slide, may I be quick to say, in terms of identifying two services on Sunday, nowhere does the New Testament come out and overtly describe it. It doesn't talk at some place as though in Troas they met at 9.30 on Sunday morning for worship, and at Corinth they met a second time on Sunday at 5.30 in the afternoon. It just doesn't say that. What it says is they met on the first day of the week. We don't know even what time it was. We do know that example in Acts chapter 20 was such that they met rather late in the day. So that certainly would be characteristic of this, but we are not told they met an earlier time that day. Maybe all of that leads me to these comments. For the observations that we've made so far tonight, some over the years have been quick to reason as follows. They say, look, the New Testament speaks about a first day of the week assembly, and I went this morning, but it doesn't say anything about Sunday night. So I'm not obligated to go to that one. And I'm not obligated to go to gospel meetings, and I'm not obligated to go to Wednesday night Bible study either. It doesn't say Wednesday evening Bible study anywhere. What do you and I think about that? And our elders, of course, frequently have to, of course, reason with, or at least think about, those who would make statements along that line. Maybe you have been in the presence of others who have felt this way. Is it true the Sunday evening worship is an optional matter? God doesn't expect you to be here. He doesn't, in fact, demand your presence. He is of the opinion, some would say, that come if you want to, but you don't have to as far as I'm concerned. We need to be very sure about that. We need to be absolutely positive because this reasoning I mentioned a moment ago, that sounds like human reasoning to me. It's true the word Wednesday doesn't occur in the Bible anywhere. It's true that words like that, Wednesday evening Bible study, aren't there. And it's true Sunday evening Bible study is an explicit phrase, doesn't occur anywhere. But there's a lot of things that aren't specifically mentioned by name, and yet we know principles are there which describe them. For example, the word cocaine is not in the Bible anywhere. Could I take cocaine as a drug be fine because the word cocaine is not in the Bible? Well, we all know that that's absurd. When the Bible does talk about any kind of drug, if you please, and the activities it could have on the mind and the brain, we know it would be condemned under that principle. Well, so it remains that there may well be descriptions about the assemblies whenever they would occur that could in fact be strongly described, and it would be worth our while to reflect on them to be sure. You'll notice then about the middle part of that slide before you. When you and I begin to think about the nature of the Sunday evening worship, 
Could we start in Acts 5, verse 42, and at least make a passing observation? It is the case that those first century saints sometimes met other times than what would be characteristic of the Sunday morning worship or of the first day assembly. That verse reads as follows. Acts 5, verse number 42, last verse of that chapter. And daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. The implication being that those first century saints was such that there were assemblies, or there at least were groupings of them that met, and that all, in many ways, took place at a variety of times. Now, you notice, they didn't have church buildings the way we do. So they could meet in houses, and they could meet in various public places, such as the temple. But the text there uses the word daily, and that's in the Greek text. They thus were meeting more often than what we would regard as or consider as just infrequent meetings perhaps once a week. In light of that, isn't it interesting that the next point is this one? The ultimate goal, and we all know it well, is of course to leave this earth prepared for heaven. If we've missed that, we've missed everything. It doesn't matter what might be said about our life on earth. If we leave unprepared for heaven, we have failed. We have, in fact, been derelict in the greatest of all duties. And yet God has seen fit to make these assemblies, and they should be very encouraging. They should be such that we are motivated to walk on a higher plane of service and faithfulness. And we have fellow brothers and sisters to encourage us in that way. By instruction, by singing, by preaching, by the mutual consideration of the various acts of worship and service. It's a rather fascinating thing then to observe that one of the elements that is so often encouraged of us in this light is a growing process to seek moment and day by day to grow stronger in our service and in our knowledge of God. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Second Peter 3.18 the knowledge of Christ is highlighted so strongly in 2 Peter 1, verses 8 and 9. That knowledge is something we need a lot of it. And we can never have too much of it. And therefore, we seek opportunities to study privately, to be benefited by personal presentation. And you and I know that the assemblies would fall under that latter category. These discussions about the Sunday evening worship. Take me to this next slide. We are surrounded by a host of ungodly forces. We know this all too well. There are so many, it seems, in our world who are very happy to be motivated by Satan and his influences, to make choices consistent with his will to in fact even directly oppose and oppress that which will be consistent with the truth of the Bible. The Bible has come to be highly ridiculed. It has come to be highly uninteresting to many people. There are hosts of individuals who give very little, if any, positive consideration to the Word of God at all. 
Now, they may laugh at it, and they may insult those who do attend services, but in terms of their own personal benefit and value, they see it as not worthwhile in the slightest. And of course, we know one consequence of that will be that ungodliness shall wax worse and worse in the language of 2 Timothy 3, verses 5 and following. Now, keeping all that in mind, could I now say this? It's true. We don't find Wednesday evening Bible study as a phrase explicitly occurring in the Bible. We don't find Sunday evening worship as a phrase explicitly occurring in the Bible. But as we learned a moment ago, I don't need to find that explicit phrase. Upon consideration of the principles involved, should we now not say this? In the infinite wisdom of God, He has delegated men, certain men who occupy the position of elders, to rule over and have the oversight of His local congregations. That has been His will. And the New Testament makes this so abundantly plain. Elders have that position of oversight. They have that localized authority that's been vouchsafed to them by Jesus Christ Himself. Maybe you and I could easily remember in those qualifications of 1 Timothy 3, it's the Holy Spirit that elects elders. It's not by popular vote of the congregation. Oh, it's true that congregation submits to their authority and agrees to follow them, but those men were put in those positions by election of the Holy Spirit Himself. 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. With that noted, could we not say this? Their valuable oversight is such that they are to be godly-minded men who not only themselves have shown in the leadership of their own family that they know what's involved in being faithful to the Lord, but they are intent to help others understand that faithfulness too. That's why we submit to them. That's why the Word of God describes them in the way that it does. Therefore, you might appreciate this. Elders have the right to make determination about certain assemblies of the church. Now, they can't set aside that first day of the week assembly. Again, we've already seen verses that indicate that's the will of God and it's not to be set aside by men. But what about a Sunday evening worship? What about a gospel meeting that might run from, say, a Monday to Friday or perhaps a Sunday to Wednesday? Does an eldership have the God-given authority to make determination of these additional times of assembly for the mutual encouragement, the mutual edification, and the mutual setting forth of the knowledge of the things of God? Certainly they do. You might note how I've asked you to consider that about the middle of that slide. So if an elder, in light of that degree of wisdom, determines for the benefit of the souls of these individuals who are under my watch, we need to meet to have more Bible study, more encouragement. We need more defense against the wiles of the devil. We need to be more aware of the devices which he will utilize, and we need to assemble in such a way that we can be blessed by an increase of those things. An elder would have every right to make that determination. In their wisdom, they could determine we meet three times a day, seven days a week. They could. 
But may I say, it is our elders' wisdom for us to meet for a period of Bible study at 9.30 on Sunday morning, a period of worship at 5.30 Sunday afternoon, and an additional midweek occurrence on Wednesday at 7 p.m. As they have determined in their wisdom that it would be a good thing for us and a blessing for our own personal growth and involvement to meet at those times, what should now be our reaction? Again, the Bible hasn't listed specifically a Wednesday evening Bible study. So does that mean the elders say I should meet, but the Bible doesn't say anything about it? So I think I'll just side with my own opinion. I think I'll just do what I feel like. Could I invite you to turn back to Hebrews thirteen seventeen? This verse has much to say about the topic before us this evening. The Hebrew writer said it like this, Obey them that have the rule over you. Let's pause at that point. Who is he talking to? These were beleaguered saints who were members of the Lord's body, members of the church, but they were suffering rather notable persecution, so much so that their lives were being made very challenging and quite difficult. He says, obey them. That word them is a reference to elders. You still obey them that have the rule over you. We've already noted elders have the oversight by decree of heaven. It says, and submit yourselves. Why? Aren't they just men? Let's read on. For, that little word for is an explanatory word. It basically offers a reason for or considerations elaborating on what was just noted. For they watch for your souls. These men have as their chiefest concern the spiritual well-being of the members of their congregation. Now, they're interested, of course, in physical things too. They don't want us going hungry, and they don't want us starving in a physical way. But their primary concern is, am I going to go to heaven? And therefore, they have determined in wisdom that by far a needful and important thing is to assemble at additional times besides merely the 10.30 worship on Sunday. In their wisdom, in light of that, this text now says, Randy, you're not an elder, but your elders have made the determination and you need to obey them. You need to submit to them. For their wisdom has led them to make the decision they've made And that Sunday evening service, or that gospel meeting, or that other particular service, that assembly, if you will, is something that in their judgment is a good thing, and you need to obey what they say. Let's read on. For they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that is unprofitable for you. An elder on the Day of Judgment is, of course, going to be judged on an individual basis. We all are. But given that they've occupied the role of the eldership, they, of course, are going to have to answer for the way in which they have overseen that congregation of the Lord's people. Did they encourage those souls toward heaven? Or did they offer some hindrance, some impediment? Could we not see that Men who occupy the role of an eldership, 
they have a lot of responsibility. And in the fineness of their wisdom and the keenness of their biblical appreciation, it is their esteemed appreciation that it's a good thing to assemble and to meet, to worship and to study, to be exhorted and to encourage. And this text says we have to obey them if we're to please God. And so the Sunday evening worship service, which has been the matter of our discussion tonight, hinges around a passage like that one. Our elders have considered it a vital thing to meet, and they have put that opportunity before us. And if I choose not to come, though I could be here, I have become guilty of disobeying my elders. I've become guilty of disobeying the Lord Jesus Christ. And I become guilty of looking with lightness upon the nature of His assemblies. And Hebrews 10.26 will say that that willful sin is something that I, in essence, am trampling underfoot Jesus Christ Himself. Who among us would want to do that? Who among us would then want to trample underfoot, to run roughshod, if you please, over Jesus that died on the cross for us? It is the case, as we conclude this lesson tonight, we have noted there is a fundamental difference between the 10.30 service here at Pippin on Sunday morning and the 5.30 Sunday afternoon one. The big difference is this. God mandated the first one. It's the one our elders wish to lift high to that matter of. That's the one where we appreciate that what is set forth is that time when we will take care of the various acts of worship And that's the first opportunity that day. But certainly, we look forward to a second opportunity. And some who didn't get to come in the morning, they have the privilege of coming in that second one. But certainly, we can note this. Our elders and their wisdom have deemed this one. And we're thankful they have. And we look forward to participating always in it. This evening, as we've reflected upon the Sunday evening worship, I hope we now understand perhaps why our elders never once cancel the 1030 service. They cannot do that. They could, however, take care of the 530 when they chose to for those protracted periods. But they did so because that one is under their authority in the sense of whether to have it or not. But not the first one. Not that particular service wherein it would be regarded as the understood first day of the week assembly. And aren't we thankful that God in His Word has identified these things clearly so that we could appreciate that which He has said. Tonight, it could be there's someone in this assembly. It may not be an issue in your life of ever underappreciating the assemblies, but maybe some other sin has become to beset you. We're told in Hebrews 12 verse 1 that we must lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. If there's a sin in your life tonight you need to set aside, why not do it? Why not leave this place in such a way that all is well with your soul and you could pillow your head with safety and eternal security tonight? We would only ask you to observe, if you are a wayward child of God, repent of that error, whatever it is. There is no sin too great that the blood of Christ cannot cleanse it. If you'll repent of it and confess it, He will absolutely forgive it. We could be of assistance tonight in that regard, and we'd love to do it. If we could help in that way, we invite you to come. Brother Larry has chosen this invitation song, and if we could be of help at the moment, won't you come while together we stand and sing?